on his way. Devil is on his way. Devil is on his way, motherfucker. The devil gonna make you pay. Fall to your knees. Devil is on his way. Fall to your knees. Devil gonna make you pay. Fall to your knees. Devil is on his way. Mountain Murderers is an Appalachian true crime podcast with cases spanning the 14-state Appalachian region. Mountain Murderers includes graphic content and explicit language not suitable for young listeners. Listener discretion is advised. Yeah, dude. Bring it back, y'all. Bring it back. Open up just like that. I need that. I need more of that. More cowbell. Hey, guys. It's Mountain Murderers. Hey. hey. I'm Heather. And I'm Dylan, goddammit. Are we stir-crazy? <laughs> I feel like this is cor- well, did you, are you recording this? coronavirus log day one. <laughs> oh my God. Are you really recording this? No. Say Good. anything you want. Aha. Hey guys, it's Mountain Murders. I'm Heather. And I'm Dylan. Are you going to talk? Or are you just going to stare at me? Yeah. Oh my God, y'all. He is killing me. He is killing me, Smalls. Okay, you ready? <laughs> what the fuck? I'm did you really? Goddamn time. Goddamn what is wrong with you? We can't play a screaming. Let's come back from top. Bring no, it. No, I'm bringing it. We're doing that. No, we can't keep that shit. No, we're doing it. So this is it. This is where we're at. Let's go. Hey guys, welcome back to Mountain Murders. I'm Heather and I'm Dylan. We are the Packers. Booyah! Bye-bye. Yes. Ow! Boom! Get some skin. Shake, shake, shake the room. Self quarantine. Yeah, that's right. We've been in the house. For like a whole day. Which is our normal day anyway. So that's why we're not going to get it. Thanks to our brand new patrons. Got a little business in the front, Dylan. We have Hannah, Jennifer, and Darlene. Whoa. Mount Murders has restructured the tiers on Patreon. And we offer more content and some pretty cool stuff for those who sign up and support the podcast. We've got personal video messages. Chances to request cases. Oh, yeah. And we're talking crazy over there on Patreon. A whole episode dedicated to you. Plus, I've got a bonus true crime podcast hosted exclusively by me. Oh, I've been cut out. Plus, we have the episodes together, Dylan. Yeah. So our top patrons are going to get a lot of content. We're going to go crazy over there. Which is great because, well, coronavirus is not great. Well, no. There's a lot of hysteria out there. You might be doing the whole self-quarantine thing. And this is why we are putting out a two-part episode. A Part one starts now. And this is a heavy hitter, if you will. Because we want to give you some entertainment while we all ride out the sickness. Yes. Ride it like you stole it. <laughs> and put it away wet. Can we bring back plague masks? Because that looks slapped. Can we bring back the guys who come by with the carts and like get your loved ones that have the coronavirus and take them away in the big wooden carts with the wheels? You mean like bring out your dead guys? Well, yeah, but they're they're obviously not dead, but they have the virus and then they take them over somewhere else and get them all together so they can be sick together. That no, that doesn't sound like freedom. Oh no, but but uh, okay, protect the rest of us. <laughs> no, but I will give you some coconuts and you can go out in the yard and clap those together and pretend you're riding a horse. Oh, okay. You catch me doing that all the time. Hey, guess what, Dylan? What? Mountain Murders is now on TikTok. Mm-mm. Yeah. Get out of here. Okay. Is this fresh tea you're giving us right I'm now? I'm just throwing my mic down. And I'm like, fine. <laughs> do it yourself, damn it. I'm going to do my solo podcast, damn it. Oh, God. It's just going to be you ranting and raving. No, it's just, I can't even talk about political or any of that stuff, so it's just, what am I going to rant about? I'm just going to say dumb Dylan shit for 30 minutes. I know, we really are going to have an episode that's going to be like, it's going to be me riding in the car with you. Yeah. And I'm going to record all the dumb shit that you say. Right. So that these folks can get a clear picture of how you really are. No, I, I'm down with that because <laughs> I, this is my fam, friends and family out there in the ether. And I want them to see and get a clear picture of who I truly am. Oh, my God, y'all. Y'all don't even want to know this, man. So, yeah, I think they already realize we're probably a little how a stir crazy. We're hillbillies. Oh, hey, guys. <laughs> Welcome back to Mount Murders. I know. We should totally, since we're on TikTok, let's get back okay. on task, okay? I've had my riddle and you haven't. We're on TikTok. you got to find us. 
I have uploaded a lot of stupid videos, some very embarrassing videos of you, Dylan, that no. you probably don't even know I have on my phone. That, right. So those are on TikTok. That better be a damn joke. No. For real. So folks can see how ridiculous and annoying we are in real life. Okay. Well, I, I think I should have had a hand in like uh, filtering this content of me because I feel like I own my image personally. It's copyrighted. And um, I feel violated. Well, you know what? I hope your insurance pays for a marriage counselor. Okay? It probably doesn't. Well, good. Go fuck off. All right. Because I posted it and that's it. I'm about to go to damn TikTok, find Mount Murders, and check this shit out. You can't. You don't even know how to log in. <laughs> I need you to turn it on. <laughs> you had to get your daughter to download it for you. You don't even know how to use it. My daughter will show it to me, damn it. He's like, I'm downloading it. Don't download again. Do I hold the phone down here? It's a download. Get it? Dad joke for day. Okay. Dad jokes, bad jokes. Are you ready to get into this true crime podcast? Unveil this very sick and twisted individual we're going to talk about. Well, his name is Dylan Packer. Oh, got No, today we're going to be talking about Gary Hilton. Gary Hilton. We've been, I've been dragging this one out because it was in my little box to do. And we really. He's worked hard on this case for you for like six months, guys. On and off. On and yeah. off. Yeah, but Gary really is a sick, a very uh, twisted man who enjoys these extended. Um, he doesn't just kill someone quickly, you know, and dispose of them and all that. He is very sick and twisted. Well, honey, we're going to get into that. Yeah, and I'm going to not say sick and twisted again. This is a two-part episode, as we mentioned. The first part that you're listening to right now, we are going to get into Gary's background. We're going to go deep into his childhood. I've been able to find more information than I originally thought was available. So you found more than me is what you're saying. Well, yes. You're no. better than me. That's yes, what you're but no, but yes, but no, but yes. <laughs> okay, so no, I have found lots of info about his childhood and growing up. So we're going to do what we would consider a pretty uh, uh, extensive background check on this fella. So this first episode, going to get into that. Our second episode is going to be the more meaty, bloody, juicy parts of the steak. You know what I'm saying? The, the sadder elements of the story. Yeah. Okay. Because of the victim. Are you trying to make me feel bad that I am excited about true crime? Well, no, I'm excited about true crime as well. I just want to, you know, it's victims and they're not, they're not a steak you order at a restaurant. <laughs> You're making me hungry. Don't you enthusiasm shame me. <laughs> oh, let's do it. Okay. Hiking. Do you like to hike? I do. I love to hike. Is considered the fourth most popular outdoor pastime after running, fishing, and biking. Okay, so that's a, that's a pretty big deal. Although I think your favorite outdoor pastime is just smoking, drinking a beer, looking at your phone. On the front stoop. Yeah. Yeah, very close to the refrigerator still. The nature boy, Dylan Packer. Mm-hmm. In 2017, 44.9 million people hit trails in the United States. That's a lot of people out and about. That's a big chunk of the nation's population. I mean, that's a lot. Being in nature is good for the mind, body, and soul. In North Carolina's National Forest, we have 1,700 miles of trails, which means a lot of adventure awaits. Most hikers go out on the trail with pleasure in mind. Of course, there are risks. You know, you think about blisters. It could be wild animal attacks. Well, yeah, you could get, you can get, you know, uh, poison ivy, poison oak, you Exposure, know, some kind of allergic reaction. You could eat the wrong berry. Don't eat stuff unless you know what it is. Getting lost, perhaps. Yes. Going off trail, can't find your way back. Or maybe underestimating the amount of drinking water you brought for the few hours outdoors. Yes, I think getting lost is at the top of that list of very dangerous situations you could end up in. Well, I think it's probably safe to say most of us don't venture out with the notion we might encounter a serial killer. No. Gary Michael Hilton was born November 26, 1946, in Atlanta, Georgia. He's a Sagittarius. Now, I've never had positive experiences with male Sagittarius's, his fire sign. Being an archer, we'll see how he adores hunting humans later. Ted Bundy, Dennis Nilsson, Rosemary West, 
Oh, Sagittarius. Oh, interesting. Being into astrology. I mean, I did write horoscopes for a living once. It might make sense that a Sagittarius could be a serial killer, as one of their less attractive traits is a lack of tact and empathy. Well, that's important. According for, to their star sign. It's important for a serial killer. I'm not saying all those late November to late December folks are out murdering people, but some are. His parents were William and Cleo Hilton. Though the marriage did not last, Gary never knew his biological father. When Gary was born, his father William was with the family for about three months before deploying overseas with the military. When he came back to the United States, Cleo was surprised to learn he had a new wife. Uh, oops. <laughs> yeah. That's pretty important information for your other wife to know. When Gary was eight, his mother remarried Nilo DeBag. His stepfather was from Argentina, growing up in a very strict environment, which he then applied to his own parenting style. Nilo worked with racehorses. In 1958, the family moved to Florida. They traveled quite a bit for Nilo's job. They relocated every three to four months. And that's tough on anybody. Especially a kid. Yeah, you know, I know I moved a lot Being as a the kid. the new kid? Yeah. Every three to four months? Well, you don't develop those uh, long-term relationships with people. You know, like, you know, you see somebody that's known somebody since kindergarten and they're best friends now. And it's tough. I, I didn't develop those as a child because uh, we moved around quite a bit. To I imagine areas. even for a kid of normal to high intelligence, it would be difficult to keep up academically. Because yep. every school is probably at a different portion of the school year. So right. you may not consistently learn throughout the year, right? Well, and then this is that the tricky? Whole, the whole thing of moving is, you know, it's tough and getting settled back in and then getting in your groove. And you just really ne never get a chance to do that. And that's every three or four months. That, that'd be horrible. Well, the moves didn't give Gary much chance to establish normalcy at any school. But Gary did have an opportunity to help care for the horses with his stepdad. That'd be pretty cool. Well, if you like horses, unless you're scared to death of them like me. Although Nilo never physically abused Gary, there was a lot of emotional abuse. Nilo was a man who demanded perfection. He would berate, belittle, and lash out at Gary for the smallest mistake. Constant, constant emotional abuse can be just as detrimental as physical abuse. I mean, it really, I just constantly, you never do the right thing. You always have someone on your back as a child. I mean, I, I could imagine you might have been better off if you slap him through the damn face and be done with it. You've met my dad. Oh, <laughs> yeah, I have. He was the kind of man that believed his word was it. The my way or the highway kind of guy. He yelled and everyone obeyed world. Nilo was also a bit jealous of any attention Cleo showered upon her son. Well, that's, that's weird. dysfunctional. Well, that's, that's deep-seated insecurities in themselves. Very, very bad. I mean, that's weird to be jealous of a kid. A kid's relationship with his mother? Right. What a weirdo. Gary Hilton would later recall an instance when his stepfather grew so angry at the young boy, he snatched up a jacket that he'd given Gary as a gift. And apparently it was like some really beautiful, like nice, expensive jacket. Tears it to shreds in front of the boy. Yeah, that's that's like a king control his rage or he wants to hurt hurt him without, you know, being physical with him. But like, here's this nice coat I know you like. And I gave this coat to you. I can tell. I mean, who the hell thinks like that? I know. And I, honestly, I would be the kind of kid that would. Probably think, well, you bought it, and now you're tearing it up, so you just wasted your own money, dummy. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't look at it anyway. It's too hot. It has been said that, we live in Florida, why the fuck you buy me a jacket, <laughs> bro? It has been said that Cleo was not exactly what you call a loving mother. She didn't display a lot of affection toward Gary, if, you know, much at all. I mean, just. So, again, she barely displays affection and adoration to the child, but what little she does, Nilo has a, you know, has issue with or right. is jealous of. That's weird. When Gary was 10, he was scalped by a Murphy bed in an accident, which led to 200 stitches and time recovering in the hospital. 
So if people don't know, the Murphy bed are the beds that literally fold up against the wall, typically used in areas of that have you know not a lot of room or like one studio room. Studio apartments. Studio apartments and things. Yeah. So I'm going to guess it sounds like the bed came down. You know, they typically come down slowly no matter what you do. So, yeah, so come down, whacked them in the head. As we have heard time and time again, traumatic brain injuries are a bitch. Damage to the frontal lobe has a greater impact on a person's impulse control and ability to exercise judgment. We've heard that more than once in stories. Children who suffer from traumatic brain injuries are more likely to develop psychological problems such as schizophrenia and bipolar disorder. Gary also suffered from rheumatic fever when he was a kid, which, you know, later specialists, psychiatrists will say that also could have affected him. Well, with a super um, super high fe- fever associated yes. with that. Well, and yeah. a traumatic brain injury. Well, yeah, and a super high fever can, you know, cause brain issues and damage of certain types, I'm sure. It is also reported that Hilton was a thief in childhood, stealing from others, shoplifting. A girlfriend whom had dated Hilton in their early teenage years confided in a reporter that he harbored a deep, dark secret. According to Hilton, he had an incestuous relationship with his mother when he was a young boy. Check another one off the list. Although I've not been able to confirm this information, it's hearsay. Now, we were going over our notes and your story there, and uh, I saw some of that as well when I researched it, and I had a strange thought about that. Can I share it? Yes. So, as weird and bad as it would be to have your mother have a sexual relationship of any type with you, that would be horrible. But what if she told you that your brother was a better lover than you? Like she broke up with you? Like she dumped, your mom dumps you. Right. Would that be even worse or would that be it's already bad? High five on the incest joke. Yeah. Thanks. Yeah. Yeah. No holes barred here. No hole. The hot take. This is a hot take, guys. So yeah. if your mom, you, you have sex with your mother, she dumps you because and tells you that not only is your brother a bigger lover, he has a bigger member than you do. Yeah. And not to joke around too much about incest because it is terrible. It's horrible. But we are depraved and we have such a fucked up sense of humor that <laughs> we find the most horrible things hilarious. Do you think that if this were the case and then someone calls you a motherfucker, ah. do you think it you would laugh a little bit? Ah. And be like, oh, well, you know, true. Well, I did. <laughs> true, true. Or would you be like, oh, and get really mad? Because. <laughs> like even more so than normal? Well, it just re- would remind you of uh, your mom dumping you for your brother. Okay, so I guess enough with the incest jokes, but we are in Appalachia, and you can't really talk about the region without a few incest jokes, right? We make them too here. Nothing says love and like fucking your cousin, right? I guess. No. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing says loving like giving your cousin a bun in the oven? Yeah, so you've been, uh, just a side note, you were telling me the other day, I think this is relevant. Okay, well, yeah, okay, so back to the incest thing, like... You know, it's fine when you make fun of something, like you're part of the culture, so you can make fun of it. Or if it's your family, you can talk shit. But the minute someone who's like an outsider does it, it makes you really mad, right? Well, it's because you know they're not, they, they mean it and they believe it, which that's when it, it's malicious. Right. Right. So we're just joking around, guys. We are kidding. You know, we give, we kid. We do. We love the Appalachians, and we love the entire country. We love you cousin fuckers. It's fine. We love international people that made Okay, so yeah. Side note, I got really into Ancestry.com recently. You did. And mapped out, like, my whole family tree. And you made an interesting... My mom's side, my dad... I mean, this just, like, goes way back, and I found some really cool stuff. You made an interesting discovery you described to me. Well, I knew it, but just seeing it had me chuckle. (laughs) Because distantly, like my grandparents, my nana and my papa, they're deceased now, but they were cool people. They were like seventh cousins or something. Ah, I mean, it was so far down. That's line. pretty far removed right there. Right. Like when, okay, so it was like my tree branched, right? And then it just like connected back. And then it was just like a line after that. And I was like, oh my God. Your tree grew back into a single branch. I'm them people we make fun of. Good golly. Yeah, I know. But it was so far back 
Right. I mean, this guy that was down the line, you know, it's like my eighth great grandfather or something. Yes. And it was in like 1810 or so, you know, it's not like. Yeah. And rolling back around like seventh cousins coming back around. That's really not. It's not like. Right. <laughs> you're, you're, you know, married your first cousin. Should and I be telling people this? Uh, they, maybe some people from, assumed, I bet that person from the UK already assumed it. Oh, the one that calls Our, the hillbillies? I know, I just keep <laughs> going back to that because it's super funny. No, it is. It's hilarious. So, I like to defy Appalachian stereotypes, but here I am, living it. You're living it. But, yes, again, it happens. It happened in the, it was a very small population, small pockets of people all over the country in the 1800s. Look at the fucking royal dynasties. Oh, God, they look inbred. Like the Holy Roman Empire and shit. Oh, dude. There was like a couple of those kings that were like seriously deformed from all the inbreeding. Yeah, I was listening to the last podcast and Marcus mentioned king's diseases. And I, which I'm going to dig into that more just to, from a personal perspective. Yeah, I remember like learning about that stuff. But I'm, I'm sure all that stuff was because of, you know, coming back around, getting doubled up chromosomes of bad ones and all that. Well, yeah, because it was like, marry, marry a royal cousin and keep the bloodline and the family pure. Hey, can I say that the, the royal families left in any part of the country, if you, or part of the world, world. rather, they look, they got them really close eyes. They look like, you know, peaked looks. They just look like uh, sickly, like frail. And I think it's for this very reason. Right. So uh, your people. That and they probably drink a lot and fall off their polo horses. You're, they do. That does happen. <laughs> okay. And it's hard walking on top of peasants all the time. Okay. Tough. So now that we know that, like, my, you know, my family, we're all cousins or whatever. Let's get back to the story. Yes. Okay. Hilton's family finally settled in Hialeah, Florida. I'm saying that correctly. Uh, I guess. During this time, Gary was able to stay in one place long enough to make some friends at school. And though he was a quiet kid, he did kind of keep to himself, but he didn't go out a whole lot to play or engage in social activities, but it was more than usual. A little bit. He's had a chance to settle down. Trying to break out of that shell. Stay in the same place. That's probably a lot better for a young person. Gary's IQ is about 120. A little higher than average, isn't it? Is that average? I think average is like a hundred to one twenty, something like that. I don't know. Mine's like two hundred and fifty. Well, he loved history and reading, though he was an underachiever. Didn't really care about school, making the good grades. He was gifted a Dalmatian when they made this move to Hialeah, which he adored. Unable to connect with his parents, he began turning to dogs for an emotional connection. Okay. He has like an emotional support dog. Yeah, so not a lot of friends. Before that was hip. His mom's kind of cold. His uh, stepdaddy sounds like an asshole. Nilo sounds like an asshole. And so, yeah, he's not making any interpersonal connections with the other people. So that's not a big... Some people just relate to animals better. By 13, Nilo and Cleo's marriage was on the rocks. The pair separated, but Nilo continuously hounded Cleo to get back together. During one of those occasions... Gary confronted his stepfather with a shotgun. And you oh. might be asking, where did he get a shotgun? Well, his friend had left it at the house. Pulls the shotgun. He tells Nilo, if you don't leave the house and stay away from my mom, I'm going to kill you. So he's trying to protect his mother. Yes. Well, that's noble. Nilo pulled a mattress off the bed, holding it in front of him, and then dared Gary to shoot him. Probably not a good move. Gary pulled the trigger. I don't blame Gary, honestly, in this instance. Nilo was not seriously injured, but he did press charges. Gary was sent to live with another family. And from what I understand, I mean, it was considered like a foster home, but these were like family friends. So it wasn't like he was sent to live with complete strangers. So it wasn't like the state intervened, placed him somewhere else. It's more like, will you let Gary come stay with you for a while? We're having issues. And before he was sent to the foster care, like right after the shooting, he... Spent some time in a mental hospital. Getting evaluated right. all that. Release okay. goes to this like foster family. Friends would say that while he was in foster care, he actually seemed more relaxed and a lot happier than before. Well, he probably was. His foster father came out later and talked about Gary's behavior and described him as just being a normal teenager. Like he, he didn't really understand why there was so much conflict. 
in the home. Right. And why Gary's behavior was such a huge problem in this household. It was like he's just this normal teenage kid thing. So if they do are friendly with the family, they probably have their own ideas about what's going on in that home. And they're having they're seeing evidence of it. He's at our home. He seems happy. He's normal. We're not, you know, he's not doing crazy stuff. So, yeah. Yeah, it was like hanging out with the family. They would go fishing. Be normal. Seemed like he was really soaking up this, you know, kind of stable, more normal home life. He's probably glad to be there. In high school, Gary was active in the band. He liked music and really enjoyed playing music, but he ended his high school career early, dropping out to join the Army. From 1964 to 1967, he was stationed in Germany where he earned his GED. He also met and married his first wife, Ursula, when he was 21. By oh, the way, can I just say, Ursula is such a cool name. I love that. You you, you would name a kid in Ursula? Yeah. Okay. Ursula Elvira. Oh. It's a great name, right? That's pretty cool. <laughs> Gary was only one of 19 soldiers assigned to the Davy Crockett Platoon. I'm going to tell you about this unique unit. They had an important job, didn't they? This unit was tasked with directing and deploying the Davy Crockett missile, an XM-388 nuclear projectile, the smallest nuclear weapon developed by the U.S. military designed for use against the Soviet Union in case the Cold War broke out. And when I say this is like a small nuclear weapon, it is seriously like like the measurements and I know a little bit about artillery, I guess, but not, okay. like, I don't know a ton, but it was, like, giving measurements of, like, millimeters. Right. I mean, so it seems like it's a pretty good targeted missile, you know? So, yeah, I know a little, so when they first dropped the bombs, first thing the military wanted, instead of, you oh, mean my, like, the atom bomb and... Yes, the, okay. the first two. Right, on, okay. uh, on Japan. First thing, because it was a big clunky thing that they didn't even know if it was, I mean, as big as a damn car. It was, they're just like, and it's, you've seen the devastating effects. So the military is like, we, can you downsize that into a tactical form, battlefield ready that I can use in direct conflict with another, uh, another army? And spare civilian casualties. Spare civilian like Well, and us too, because right. you know, if, if I'm a valley over from the position of the enemy, and I explode one of the two big boys, if you will. We're all dead. They wanted small. They wanted tactical, where it can be deployed on, in real time, you know, on the battlefield. This sounds like an actual culmination of that very program to give them tactical nukes. Well, with the kind of stress that Gary was under being assigned to this unit, I mean, kind of no surprise, he started to crack under pressure. I'd say they weren't the usual... I'm sure it's stressful being in military period, but they were very top secret, big deal, do your job. It's a very important job. You're handling these damn things that could blow everything up. Yeah, I'd say that'd be pretty stressful. Gary began having mental problems. He started hearing voices, eventually having a full-blown schizophrenic breakdown. Ah, and that could be related to his uh, traumatic brain injury. The Army placed him in a mental hospital where he was drugged with Thorazine. Rather than giving Hilton a Section 8 discharge, like for, you know, medical reasons, they let him go with an honorable discharge. Upon being deactivated from the Army, he returned to the U.S. and brought his German wife with him. By 1969, the marriage to Ursula fizzled. He was bouncing around from job to job in the South, eventually ending up in DeKalb, Georgia. It was during this time he got his chauffeur license. Is there a big demand for chauffeur drivers in Georgia? Well, I guess if he's anywhere near, uh, you know, the big city, Atlanta or something, right? Driving around like... DeKalb County is right there by Atlanta. Yeah, I know. Okay. So y'all know who he's <laughs> driving back then, but people with sideburns, lots of damn hair, I guess. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of hair. <laughs> but he got a DUI and ended up getting his license suspended for like a year. And this was in 73. And he never took steps to reinstate his driver's license after this. His second marriage ended in divorce soon after because, you know, he's not keeping a job, drinking and driving. Well, and I'm sure those problems he developed there at the end of his military career, that's not something that just fixes itself. You know, schizophrenic episode, he probably is not seeking help, and I'm sure that's carrying over. By 1979, he was divorced from the second wife, married a 
third wife, her name was Betty Sue Edwards Galloway. She was a security guard for Stone Mountain State Park. They divorced only seven months after marrying. So that didn't work at all. She would claim during their marriage, Gary forced her to resign from her law enforcement job because he was running a charity scam. Yeah, so you'll see this over and over in Gary's life. For one, he loves the outdoors. So it's no surprise he met his third wife there at Stone Mountain. I'm sure he was just there being, you know, a visitor. And he is not real big on nine to fives. And he is not afraid to run a scam. It is too bad that Gary did not have access to TikTok, Patreon, YouTube. He could have just been a do-it-yourself podcaster and made money and made his own schedule, right? Yeah, he could have recorded out in the damn woods. (laughs) (laughs) The charity scam, I'll get into that just a little bit. I don't know a bunch about it, but, you know, he had this fake charity. He would call businesses. They would agree to write a check. Then he would send his wife to go pick the checks up from these businesses. Just rip people off. The marriage ended soon the girl, but said he didn't think it was a big deal because she wasn't his daughter. That's disgusting. Yeah. What's the big deal to me, you son of a bitch? I'm her right now. I'm going to kill you. He'd exposed his penis to her son and asked the boy to touch it as well. Can't wrap my head around speaking to a child like that and, and doing that to a child. I can't. I'm sorry. Right. So she kicked his ass out as most people would, I would imagine, right? I would be a little stronger reaction for me. Again, he bounces around some more, and by 1981, he finds himself in another relationship Wagner. Wagner had a 13-year-old daughter. Her name was Stephanie. Gary became a father figure to her. For two years that he dated Constance, he was very active in Stephanie's life. He drove her to school, made her eat properly, always made sure she had a nice, like, hearty breakfast before school, came to her ball games, gave her money. You think it's because he liked her? He was, like, like really active in her life. Creepy way. Well, Stephanie said he was funny, outgoing, and really good to her. Like, she cared about him, and nothing creepy ever happened. According to her, see, it's interesting that he can connect with people. He can't. I mean, you know, he's at yes, these are failed marriages, but he keeps finding someone else willing to marry him. So he must be either his impulses or what find, uh, later leads to killing and hunting people is not fully come, developed in him, or he's just really good at hiding. Keeping those things separate, which is true with some, uh, many serial killers. Yeah, like a Ted Bundy. But these seem to be genuine connections. That seems to be like he really, they had a real uh, uh, genuine interpersonal relationship, a, a happy someone. I find the fact that Gary, this maniac person who is now in prison, oops, spoiler alert, have multiple marriages. And be brought into their existing, you know, children's lives. They already got kids, so they don't have a problem. Bringing this guy into the household and actually, in this case here, letting him assume the father figure, which is a big deal, you know, to a 13-year-old daughter. I mean, that's that time when they, I feel like uh, girls and boys, but girls especially, really need a connection with a male figure in their life. In 1983, Gary was arrested for carrying a pistol without a license and a drug charge. And I think it was weed. During the late 80s, Hilton would have brushes with the law, including fraud charges or what they call theft by deception, as well as drug offenses. It was in 1994 that he was charged with 21 counts of solicitation. Now, at first, I thought, this dude is into prostitutes, right? That's your first thought. This was actually for the act of soliciting, him trying to get one of his scams off. I did discover that in my research. So it's not prostitutes. It is actually going to someone and soliciting his wares, the goods, whatever scam, you know, and all you see the door signs on all the doors, no soliciting. That's actually a thing. That, so that's what that was about. Well, yeah. So I'm going to tell you a little bit more about what that was about. He stole books from the American Book Display Company. He was hired to be a bookseller, but instead he took the books, ran off and like tried to sell them for his own profit. So he's always looking for that get rich quick scheme, anything to keep him so he can go do what he likes. Go be in nature, smoke some pot, and just do his own thing. But 21 counts, that seems like 
a lot. Yeah, I'm going to guess they hammered him and they got him on every instance. Either he contacted someone else and tried to sell the books, or you know how they load the charges up on you. He was given 10 years probation. Oddly enough, in 1995, Hilton worked on the movie Deadly Run. I thought this was very interesting. Now, he claims he was a producer of this movie, although I don't believe he has a producer's credit. No, but he uh, had a big hand in the idea of the movie. He sold the filmmaker on this idea about a serial killer who murdered women in the woods. How crazy is that? Yeah. And so the filmmakers, like, your story is compelling, right? He wants to make, I want to make this movie. This is a great idea you got. It seems real. You know why? You know, it's because this son of a bitch is something he thinks about. This is like a really low budget indie horror type of film. I wonder if we can find it. That's our mission while we're quarantined. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Hilton was dependent on drugs and alcohol, often using quaaludes and LSD. Now, I don't know a whole lot about quaaludes. I know they were like really popular in the 70s and early 80s. And then they were just banned. Right. But... I mean, what does Quaaludes... I mean, I know what LSD does, not from personal experience, because I'm a square, but like, what kind of high do you get from Quaaludes? Oh, uh, again, I'm like you. It's just some mythical thing you hear about. You know, our parents talk about people being on ludes. I think it's a downer. Like in the disco days? I think it's a downer. I don't think it's a stimulant. That's well, all I know well, about it. I was thinking that. So maybe using the Quaaludes was his way of self-medicating and coping with his mental illness. And I'm sure that's uh, why he, yeah, I'm sure that's why he probably preferred to smoke pot and things like that. I'm sure his brain was just all over the place. He couldn't hold down a steady job other than working occasionally as a telemarketer. He had periods of joblessness and homelessness during this time. He had a really hard time just functioning in society. Yeah. Just being like a regular working, tax-paying, law-abiding citizen. But it's interesting. It seems like when he wants to, he can do it. But like he but does in short increments, short increments. And he has to want for some reason, be compelled to just act normal and go through a normal day. But he's not scared to live out of his vehicle and just be floating around and not know where his next meal's coming from. He's a he's kind of a drifter type loner. Yeah, definitely. It was on December 1st, 1994. A woman named Melissa Witt disappeared from a bowling alley parking lot in Fort Smith, Arkansas. Her lifeless nude body was found about 60 miles away near Turner Bend, which is located in the Ozark National Forest. Her murder remains unsolved, and there are quite a few suspects, but Hilton has not been ruled out in the crime. Her murder has haunting similarities to Gary's later victims. It does. It nails it because... There, there, you'll get into that, but there's a lot, there's multiple big similarities there. In 1997, after having burned through a plethora of jobs, Hilton met a man named John Tabor who owned insulated wall systems. He hired Gary to work for him selling siding and giving him a place to live. I believe it was like a trailer or something like on the property of the business. Yeah, it was nothing fancy. It's almost like either a trailer or like a back room. Camper, you know, yeah. Yeah. Office apartment, something like that. Yes. Um, This is in Georgia. And during this time, Hilton managed to be a fairly good employee for Tabor. Well, I think because of the nature of the job, he's doing um, siding. We all, I think people our age remember when that was a big deal, right? People come by and like literally try to sell your parents siding. But um, I think it wasn't a, like a nine to five. He could make his calls when he wanted. This guy's, you know, he's got room and board. So there's, a, you know, less pressure with the rent and, you, you know, things like that. And I think it was one of those things he could do when he wanted and still do the things he liked. So I think that's how he was able to stick with it for a decade. Well, and I think we're seeing a pattern here that Hilton clearly had struggles functioning in society. Yes. And as you said, he could do it for some period of time, a year, maybe two years, but then it was like the urge would overtake him. He just couldn't do this anymore. He didn't want to do be it. free, right? Yeah. But it seems like the times when he can kind of function, it's because there's a benefit to him. Very much so. Like the long play. Yes. Like he could take advantage of the situation. Yes. Like I can be a normal, good, decent guy. But- 
good boyfriend, take care of your kid for two years because you're working, you're paying the bills, I'm living in your house. I'm floating around doing what I want to do. Right. Exactly. I think it definitely comes down to he's a super narcissistic person. Watch so many hours of interviews with him. Like maybe if he didn't struggle with mental illness or had channeled it in another way. I mean, I feel like this guy could have either been like a CEO or some con artist running a pond. He had, <laughs> yeah, there has to be, he has to have been, he looks scary to me. This guy, I think you can see them when you, people talk about evil, true evil, madness. When The more and more I spent looking at his pictures, watching him talk to investigators, even in normal conversations, he looks scary, but he has to have some element of charisma. There has to be, it has to be able to turn it on and off to, you know, get in good with people. He got in good with this guy, and this guy's trusting him to a major degree. The multiple women, bringing them into their lives. Well, that's the thing is, like, Gary wasn't a horrible-looking guy. No. Not say when I didn't see any young pictures. I mean, he was definitely not like a Jerry Brutos or something. And no. I was like, ooh. But he wasn't a bad-looking guy, and even now, he's got the whole Silver Fox thing going on. Yes. And he has a little bit of hooded eyes. And I think, you know, okay, so if he could turn on the charm and fake fun and interesting. He's outdoorsy. Play that part. I could see him seeming uh, manly, rugged, rugged and, like interesting. Right. Yeah. Okay. You want to have sex with Gary Hilton? No, but I'll be honest. Um, If I had to fuck a serial killer, Ed Kemper. Young Ed Kemper. Yeah, young Ed Kemper. I thought he was hot. What about the guy that does him on Mindhunter? Does he turn you on? That's a big dude. I mean, he's cute. Yeah. He's tall and he's... He seems smart. Beefy. I don't want to have sex with him, but I could see... You want to have sex with him. He's got all that bushy mustache and like those okay. glasses. I don't want to derail the story. I, I know what's going on. Well, yeah, now. I mean, Ed he probably... He wouldn't have had sex with me. He would have like cut my head off and fucked it. And that would have been it. But I'm he'd, just saying. He'd had sex with your neck hole. That of all the serial killers, I mean, you know, I find Ed Kemper hot, but not Gary Hilton. No, okay. What about a younger Gary Hilton? No, there's something about him. Okay. <laughs> there's something about Gary Hilton that reminds me of the guy who raised me. Okay. So my parents divorced when I was not right. super young. So but, not your biological father, right, but you're a young kid. And my mom had this, a long term relationship with a guy like 14, 15 years. Okay. So, of course, my childhood, early teens, and then my teenage years, they didn't split up until I was like 25 or something. So, he was in your life for a very yeah, long time. Yeah, so he raised me. I mean, he was in my home, taking care of me, the father figure, making sure, you know, dinner is ready, do you have what you need, that kind of thing. And he was not a serial killer. He's a really nice man, but had that look of Gary Hilton. So when I look at him, I think he kind of looks like that guy. So. so you can't sex up Gary because he reminds you of your stepfather. Right. Let's well, get back on We track. are off track here. We are. It was during this time that a doctor prescribed Hilton Ritalin. Now, if you're not familiar, Ritalin is a stimulant prescribed to people who have ADD. But Hilton did not have ADD. And this medication affected him adversely. Now, it's my understanding, and I'm fairly <clears throat> innocent when it comes to drugs. But that if you have attention deficit disorder or ADHD. Or a couple of other things. That this stimulant, it kind of mellows you. Does. It helps you focus. Yes. And you seem normal, but maybe a little more sharp. Right. I just keep throwing around the word normal, but it helps. What's normal, man? But people who take it like recreationally and yes. stuff, it's because it like fucks you up. Well, it's like it's uh, basically an amphetamine or is derived from it. And uh, yes, you get all wired up like you did uh, did the drugs. So yeah, if you don't need it for those reasons you just described, it totally stimulates you. And yeah. And this is what was happening. Tabor described Hilton as, you know, he'd been a good employee and they seemed to have a good relationship, close, were friendly to each other. He made demand he money. trusted him. Hey, you can stay in my business. You know, I'm going to help you out. But by 2005, and this was around the time that he started taking the Ritalin, he started exhibiting like this really odd behavior and it really disrupted the workplace. Taylor believed Gary amped up after being prescribed the medication. He seemed paranoid, exhibited manic behavior, talked nonstop, 
There's a would not shut up. These are all and really yes. incoherent rambling. This is, I mean, this is just like he's doing, uh, doing the math. Angry, yeah. confrontational. They had a big blowout fight when Gary accused his boss of cheating him out of money. Soon he lost his job, finding himself homeless, which will be the lifestyle he lives for the rest of our story. Yes. Uh, do you have more on Tabor? I don't. Because, yes. So at the end of all that, you had this long relationship, mutually beneficial. Like you say, when Gary can get something out of it, he can be cool and good. He's making this guy money. He's happy with the arrangement. But then he gets on the Ritalin, and it sounds like he was abusing, not even just taking it daily, as, as if it were. Pre- sounds yeah, like he's abusing I it. did read an article where it said he was popping them. Right. Like He's candy? eating three or four. Yeah. Right. So he's, and he's exhibiting all the behaviors of someone who uses something like cocaine or, or methamphetamines, and with all the uh, irritability. Ir- irritability. Yeah, just leave that in <laughs> so people know I'm stupid. And with all, all those are classic signs of that. And um, when he blew up on him, there have been some other instances, small things that happened. Tabor's like, this is it. I've had enough. His business was actually thriving and growing. So, you know, he had, you're out of here. He had a reputation yes. as well as a business owner. He, he you did. cannot send an employee out right. with erratic behavior, might get upset at a customer. So this is a salesman for cuss you. Cuss them out, right. punch them in the, I mean, who knows, right? There, there was other ramblings coming back to him from customers and stuff like, hey, your guy's a little weird. I would have went with you, but... So Tabor had enough. Get your shit. Get out. Paid him what he felt like he owed, you know, Gary's next check or something. But Gary drummed up in his head that he owed him like $10,000, right? So this is probably in his rambling ass. High. He's high as hell. And he threatened to kill Tabor. He's like, I'll kill you. I'll burn all this shit down. So for quite a while after that, after he made Gary did come back and get his stuff, he initially left. When he told him to leave, he came back in a couple of days, got all his stuff and left. He was very worried and he swears that Gary, what he, a time or two, he caught him like watching him or in the general area. Like he felt like he was following him around. He was stalking him. Yes. And then finally Gary went on off, but he has a very... Uh, there's actually a good bit of footage and interviews of him talking about this time with Gary. And I believe, personally, just like you said, when it's mutually beneficial for him, he can be normal and stuff. But at this point, he's older. You know, this is when he says, fuck it. Fuck it. I'm going to do what I want. I'm going to do, I'm going to embrace urges and compulsions that I'm feeling. And I, I don't care who it, who it hurt. That's what I believe on. Oh, yeah. And right. that, and you couple it with basically like being a drug addict. Well, yeah. Now he's used drugs and that's going gonna... you know, I don't know what doctor prescribed him Ritalin, but, um, you know, there should be some malpractice or something there. Because, well, I'm sure that happened a lot back then. You know, it just seems to me like schizophrenia, that Ritalin would not be what you would give a schizophrenic person. No. And as he gets older, uh, I know it develops early on with the males, especially. Um, uh, Maybe he's just his brain's devolved as far as the mental illness goes to a point where it's more in control of his thoughts and actions. Yeah, coupling mental illness with, especially untreated mental illness with drugs, is never going to be a good thing. I don't know if you did. I couldn't find another period of normal in Gary's life after this event. No, that seemed to be the clincher. Yes. That was it. In 2005, Hilton abandoned a van in the Trey Mountain area of White County, Georgia. He was issued a citation, but ignored it, so a warrant was loaded into a federal database. Keep that in mind. So that though sounding like a minor offense, you're on federal land, therefore it's federal, and it goes into a federal database. Okay. So let's hang on to that thought. Okay. Because we're going to have a second episode where that'll be important. (laughs) I know we've been bullshitting a lot around this um, story, guys, and I apologize for that, but yeah, we hope we're not bugging you, but there we have looked at it for quite a while. We're getting a little wacky, and w- this is an exciting story, and well, you know how we are. We do have uh, um, a lot of extra thoughts on this one. I hope it's not too rambly, but uh, it's a pretty big story. We say that, and then we listen to last podcast on the left. Yeah. And I'm like, well... I don't think we offended every group on the planet, right? Not yet. <laughs> Rosani Milani was a 43-year-old woman from Miami, Florida, who was vacationing in Cherokee, North Carolina. 
Hey, we used to live there. You've been there before. I've been down by that casino. No, we we lived in Whittier, but that was fairly close to the casino. For Ten a while. minutes away. On December seventh, two thousand five, Sassy, as she was called by her family and friends, um, phoned her father from the Ramada Inn Motel where she was staying. She told him her plans were to go hiking, and she was really interested in trying out the Appalachian Trail. Yeah, because you can get that's very close to an entrance to the trail, right? Near Bryson City. Yes. yes. On this day, she was spotted in Bryson City where she rented a storage space at Ye Old Mini Storage on River Street. After this, the woman vanished. Her suitcase, carry on, laptop, sleeping bag, camera, cell phone, all the other personal items you would have on vacation never recovered. Never recovered. No money was taken from her bank account. It vanished. But two years later, after her disappearance, a local newspaper had ran a story about this missing woman in the area. Right. Be on the lookout if anyone knows anything. You know, one of those called the Crime Stoppers, phone number, that kind of stuff. A store clerk recognized the woman in the picture and recalled selling her a backpack. And she remembered a rather disturbing story. A man who seemed to be about 60 years old with graying hair at his temples was with this woman. He said he was a traveling preacher and that he was going from like campground to campground to yeah. minister. Now, I know preachers go from different churches and on like a circuit and have like a guest sermon. I know that happens nowadays, but do people riding a wagon around, and, you know, and... and lecture the people a traveling preacher is that seems a little dated to me for him to say that i mean maybe from but campground to campground well that seems reasonable to me does it really like you, i guess you're doing it for your own personal i mean that's what you, you feel a calling maybe okay all right he's yeah, a traveling it's the same as like a sidewalk preacher so she's seen in the store with this older gentleman the clerk recalled milani seeming very nervous during the transaction that really stood out to her not really saying much hilton had a very strong resemblance to this man. She ended up working with a private detective who was investigating the case. They came up with like a composite sketch. And if you compare Hilton to this sketch, looks just fucking like him. He has a very specific face. He does. He does. It's not generic in any way. I mean, if you've seen him, you would recognize him years later. He does. And this sketch... Looks it's, just fucking like it. It's spot on. It's like an artist was looking at him when he drew it. Yeah. People think that he could have been responsible for her disappearance. Milani suffered from bipolar disorder, but her father stated he didn't believe that she would run away or kill herself. She was in constant contact with him. This was a family. They spoke every day. Yeah, and she's talking about something. She's happy. She's talking about trying out new things. The Appalachian Trail is there. She's, she has all this gear. You know, it sounds like something she's into. So, yeah, I mean, it doesn't add up that she would just disappear. Hilton, along with his dog, Dandy, hit the open road in his Chevy Astro van, living in a van down by the river. Hilton was popping the Ritalin as the two departed Georgia in 2007, entering into North Carolina. He headed for the Pisgah National Forest. Pisgah National Forest is a gorgeous area, folks. If you've never visited this area, you need to take a vacation here. Yeah, even if you like hiking the outdoors all around this country. If you love mountain beauty, yes. this is the spot. It's one of the prettiest parts that I've seen. Pisgah Forest is gorgeous. There are two designated wilderness areas, as well as the Cradle of Forestry. If you're not familiar with that, it is the first school of forestry in the country. Yes, it was. And it's located in Transylvania County. But now it's, um, you know, like open to the public. They have cool, like, woodsman, like, events there. A lot of information on uh, local plants and just the whole idea of... Arborists. Uh, yes. Conser- I mean, just lots of information. Conservation. It's, it's really nice. And the wilderness area there, that's like the Shining Rock Wilderness. Yes. Right? I think so. There's like Sliding Rock. Yes. So many waterfalls, hardwood forests, cascading waterfalls in this area where the Cradle of Forestry is located. That's called Transylvania County. You may have heard of like Brevard, North Carolina. I want the dinky blood. (laughs) So Transylvania County, they call that land of the waterfalls. 
There's a lot. I've seen quite a few out there. I mean, there some of them are easy to access and right off the road. There's some really pretty. I can't remember the exact number of like how many waterfalls they boast in this area. I know how many it is. How? A shitload. <laughs> Hello. Yeah, it's a lot, but it's gorgeous. It is. Gary's going to the Pisgah National Forest. So October 21st, 2007, John and Irene Bryant, a couple in their 80s who had been married for 55 years. So old school, loving couple, been through everything, still together. They were hiking together in the Pisgah National Forest, enjoying a brilliant fall color season. John was a passionate outdoorsman who loved hiking so much, he'd conquered the entirety of the Appalachian Trail, that's over 2,000 miles, battling arthritis to do it. Irene was the same in her love for the outdoors. The pair was known to take weekly hikes together, and they would go on these spur-of-the-moment exotic vacations. Age was nothing but a number when it came to these two. Oh, they, they, they were us. young at heart, very active, they passionate, like, and they really enjoyed each other's company. They sound like so much fun, and they're just, they're, here they are in their elder years, doing what they love. I will post a photo of them together. Yes. They just look really cute, and you can tell they are in love. They're in love. Well, at some point on this nature walk, the couple encountered then 61-year-old Gary Hilton. They were only 20 miles from their home. About 50 yards from where the Bryants had parked their Ford Escape, on Yellow Gap Road, Irene's body is discovered. Missing for three weeks, she had died from blunt force trauma to the head. She had been covered with a few twigs and leaves, but John was nowhere to be found. They did an extensive search of this area, trying to locate John. No luck. Now, a few days after the couple had gone missing, their debit card was used to withdraw $300 in Ducktown, Tennessee. The security video from the ATM showed a person in a hooded yellow raincoat. Got the hood pulled down. Yes. Oh. Kind of low, covering their face. He's aware of the cameras, obviously. Yeah. So they couldn't really make out, like, if this was John, who this person was. But got this video of him getting money out of the ATM. After securing the PIN number and the money, Hilton drove the elderly man to the Nantahala National Forest where he shot him with a 22 Magnum firearm in the head. Now, that's quite a ways from where they encountered Gary and his wife was killed, correct? I think you would make sure people know that. Yeah, I would say, well, you've got to imagine. So, if they're in Transylvania County and the location of Ducktown, that's going to be a few hours away. Okay. That's going to be at least two, three hours drive. From? From Transylvania County to Ducktown, Tennessee. To Ducktown. And then to Nantahala? And then back to Nantahala, which Tennessee, you can get to Nantahala Forest. It's not that far away, but from Nantahala to Pisgah Forest, right. that's a drive. So he That's like got a good hour and a half distance. So he ends up well removed from where he encountered Gary. His wife was killed. Gary keeps him alive, takes him with him, gets his debit card information eventually. And the right proper pen. Probably gets out the minimum or, I'm sorry, the maximum that you can withdraw like, that in a day. That sounds about right. Right. And now that he knows it works. This is a formula we're going to stick with. It is a formula we're going to stick with. Later, and we'll get into this, but John Bryant's DNA is going to be found in Hilton's van. Those poor, poor people. I actually remember this particular story of the Gary Hilton because it's local. People still talk about this. It is local. And people... I hear people now. And uh, if you say, I'm going hiking, or we are going to go to, oh, you be careful. Remember those people they found? Yes. And it's this couple. And look how long her body was barely hidden, but yet it was weeks before she was discovered. So I think that can help people who haven't been out on the trails and in these areas understand that they're, you have to go way, they're far removed from what you consider town or civilization. And some of these parking areas and um, trailheads are... Yeah, well, some of the trailheads do have, a, like, a parking area. Right. Right? But some of these trails... Just pull-offs. They're pull-offs. Right. And you may have to... There may not even be, like, a trail to get down to the trail. Yes. So you're careening yes. down a very steep... You're climbing straight down the bank. ...embankment to find a trail to go hike. Yes. So they're, you're, they're desolate. I mean, they're they're out of the way. And if you get into trouble, there's no one there to help you. 
And with this only being 50 yards from where they'd parked their car, and you're thinking it took three weeks to find her body. That's what I mean. This is the fall color season. This is when the leaves are starting to fall down. If you're in this forest area, you're going to fucking find three foot of leaves. You know what I mean? Yes. When exactly. You're stepping into knee deep or higher leaves. Exactly. Once but they I, all start to fall. I think that just points out these aren't like manicured parks right off the road. These are desolate, out of the way areas. I mean, they're nice, they're beautiful, but they're they're meant that to be that way, to be left in their natural state, because you're literally just meant to walk through, not bother anything, leave nature alone. Yeah, and it's easy to see how her body wouldn't have been spotted at this time, because and, once those leaves come down on the ground, I mean, you wouldn't know what's under that pile of leaves. Everyone would just assume, oh, well, that's just a big pile of leaves. And there is a place, these types of places, where Gary's always felt comfortable, in the woods, in the middle of these state parks all over the country, Ozarks. Yellowstone. I mean, he that was his thing. He went all over. Down in Florida. So um, We touched on this our last episode with the yes. Connecticut River Valley Killer. Discarded most of his victims in wooded areas where the terrain was difficult. Yes. And when you kill a person and you've got a body to get rid of, you want to be in a secure place. You don't want to get caught. You don't want to be disturbed. So you want to be in a place where you are going to have time. Time. You're going to be alone. You're going to be in full control. Exactly. You and want to be isolated. Yes. So, you know, for Gary to go from like park to park. Yes. And prey on these folks. <sighs> he's, he's such an asshole. He is an asshole. He is an asshole. Those poor, he's 61 and they're what, in their 80s? Yeah. And he's going to take this elderly couple and just who knows what you probably you probably did something off the rip, busted the old man in the face with the gun, or maybe hit the he don't have a problem hitting women, and just like this is what's up, and then kills her and takes him, and in death. And this man has to watch his wife of fifty five years be killed, be killed, yes. by this madman, and feel powerless, helpless. That's fucked up. And then be taken, and know that you're next. Then be taken, kept alive for quite a, you know for quite a while, long enough to drive hundreds of miles in a kind of a circle, a loop, and then in death, be removed from that woman you loved for all those years. You know what I mean? Separate them, separate. Well, physically, yes, just not, knowing that like my wife's there and I'm right. gonna die right here. Not yeah. not even like I'm not saying they that's may never cool. find my body. Yeah, we may never have a funeral. We might not be buried. Together. They might I mean, not if you find have her. a plot and your plan is we're going to be buried side by yes. side, that may never happen. Well, yes. That's fucked up. It's cruel. It's cruel on so many levels. So, I mean, it's not that killing someone instantly is okay, but just the added time and knowing that this event's happened and living with it and all these feelings this poor, poor man must have had the entire time just Son of a bitch is making, I'm sure, and terrorizing him the entire time as well to get this information from him so he can, don't have to work a fucking job and he can steal that poor man's money. That's what that's about. That's, yeah, you have to be a soulless individual to be able to do this to an elderly man, murder his wife, have him in the vehicle, be in the van with him for some time. Yes. You know, I mean, this elderly, he may have been gagged. I don't know. Maybe they had conversations. I'm not sure. But you know he's probably hysterically crying, bawling, That's upset. so, so fucked up. And what kind of person can just be driving along, like, doo-doo-doo. Merging in and off. Got my off. dog dandy. Yeah. And, like, listening to the, the smooth sounds of the 70s on the radio. Yes. Not bothered a bit by what he's done. No. Just doing what he does and using this man until it's no longer beneficial for him. And then killing the poor man. Just the whole time thinking of the prospects of I'm going to get some money. Yeah. Like he's, yeah. McDonald's money or whatever. (sighs) Okay. So is this it for now? Yeah, this actually is going to conclude part one of our Gary Hilton story. Yes, it's a very sad story. He's a horrible, horrible, like all the ones we talk about, especially the multiple killers. But, um. We did carry on a little bit, but I think that just comes from our excitement. And just because of excitement might not be that word. What I'm trying to say is... We're passionate about true crime. Passionate about true crime. This was a big case. and um, Well, people 
who listen to Mountain Murders, they know. I'm not going to apologize for them. Yeah. We're not going to. Y'all are I mean, friends yeah, and family. Yeah, we a little bit, but. You're friends in our Mountain Murder family. But um, we hope you enjoyed it to the best degree that you can. And we will be back with another part. Because at this point, this is the kicking. This is a starting point for Gary. Well, for the ending act of Gary, if you will. Because I know that there's the girl in Bryson and probably other people that he affected earlier on in his life. Well, you know, when, when I started crafting this and you did so much work, Dylan. I didn't really study this for a long time. Of you. I couldn't find all my notes, you. but I think you can tell. I really wanted to get as much information on Gary Hilton as possible. I didn't really know much about him at all. I didn't either. And there's not great detail out there about his childhood, his early life, his background. No. Not a lot about his crimes. Yes. Well, I really hope that I was able to give you guys a broader picture of who he is, where he came from, what his life was like before something clicked Yes, in his brain. You did good on that. I don't even know where you dug up some of that stuff about youth because I couldn't find it. But you're better than I am. I got secrets. So, yes, um, this is part one of Gary Hilton, and we will be back very soon for part two. And the sad conclusion of this monster. Hang tight out there, guys. Try not to breathe in too much funk. Don't be sneezing on people, y'all. Right, yeah. So take care of yourselves. Bye, guys.